morning. God bless you. Praise God. Good morning, church. Everybody ready? Get your seat belts ready on. You know, uh, we've been in relationship with your pastors for many years, and uh, we love them dearly. And pastor Linnell, Miss my wife, Miss Linda, will always say Pastor Linnell is my pastor. And so when she needs a little counsel, a little prayer, or a little something, something, she calls Pastor Linnell, praise the Lord. And so we've been, we've been friends for a long time, and it's always a great honor for me to be here and uh, minister in this pulpit on his behalf and on God's behalf. And so I'm blessed, and I pray you be blessed today too. Somebody say amen. 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 Now, I, I'm going to just... Uh, kind of warn you now we've already done in Haiti two services for this service starts and so that but we're early culture it's an early culture and they get out of the heat and then they go cook a Sunday meal like the old days but uh, I watch you guys often uh, not not every week but often and so I follow you live all the way from Haiti and because uh, uh, one thing I appreciate about Pastor John he is a tremendous orator very planned, very eloquent in his speech, very precise. Well, you're not going to get that today. <laughs> I'm more like a scattershot shotgun. And so just hang on and try to get a revelation out of what God's saying in the midst of it all, okay? He'll be back in a couple weeks. You'll be okay, all right? I'm, so I have did my disclaimer, and so we're ready to go. Pastor John did mention that there's a lot of new faces in the church that may not know us, uh, my wife and I. If you've never heard me speak, lift a hand up. Look at you all. You all coming to a good place. You know that, don't you? Praise God. Now, remember, anything I say, John will be back. All right. <laughs> so it's, it'll all be good, praise the Lord. Yeah, as, as Pastor Mike said, this past May, I realized, or we realized, or we celebrated 36 years in Haiti. 36 years in Haiti is a lifetime. And uh, I remember about 37 years ago, the Lord gave me and then he gave my wife the same word that we were to go to Haiti and take a nation for Jesus. He didn't just say, go be a missionary. He said, I want you to go and take a nation for Jesus. Now, is that, it's, you know, I'm not presuming that we're the only ones doing anything for God, trust me. In, in Haiti, but uh, it was odd that he used those words, and I had no clue, because, uh, you know, I was, we were in our early 30s, it's when you about think you know something, but after you go a few more years, you realize you didn't know anything, and uh, we went, uh, we went down by faith, we just went by faith, and we didn't have a PA, we didn't have a generator, we didn't even own a car the first six months I was there. And rode around on public transportation, which you do not want to do. It's not a happy place. But anyhow, we, we adjusted and went. And before I left, you know, I, I'd already finished Bible school. I was serving as an associate pastor at our local church in Florida over missions, both domestic and foreign. And uh, God said, go to Haiti. And we took a course. We took a Bible school course on missions. And they gave you the textbook. And the textbook kind of taught you, you know, you got you to gotta have this much money coming in for your family, cover your family. And then you got to have this much money coming in for ministry. And then you got to have a little more money coming in for a reserve. And God had already given me a date. It was in May. May and uh, we had already booked our tickets. And I was talking to God. And I said, God, you know, the, the book says we're supposed to have this much money, but we don't have that much money pledged. And God said to me, I didn't write that book. Sometime, well, I'm not going to get into that. I stopped. God stopped me on that one. That, that's a good thing. I pray that. Lord, if I'm about to say anything that will not be bring you glory, just shut my mouth. He just did. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I'm stirring a word for these young people over here in my spirit. You know, I'm addicted to young people spiritually. And uh, I haven't got, got it all yet, but it's coming, all right? So you just go ahead and pull on me a little bit. One thing I do know is... Uh, God's going to release, I don't, 
there's going to be a whole new level of glory and power in your lives. God is anxious to touch your generation. He not just wants to, he's anxious. And for those like you guys that are spiritual, praise God, he's getting ready to release just, uh, I keep hearing the word double portion, but I don't know how we gauge that. But just a whole nother level of his presence and glory into your lives that people will be drawn to you, drawn to you because of the Jesus in your life. And that he will give you wisdom and understanding of how to respond to specific questions in their lives. Because your generation is searching. And they're searching some of the wrong places. We know that. We all generations did. Even me, I was in the hippie generation. They were all messed up. But uh, uh, God just wanted me to encourage you that he's getting ready to stir up a whole new level of his presence and anointing in your lives. He's going to use you greatly for the glory of his kingdom. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I do have a message. <laughs> Hallelujah. God sent us to Haiti to take a nation. We had no idea how to impact the nation. We first birthed our accredited, which is now an accredited Bible school in the level of bachelor's degree, and we're adding a master's, and I'm working on that now even in my late time of life, but adding the master's into that. And I, but I have to have it accredited, so you, you, you develop a course, then you send it to them. Then the smart guys look it all over and make a few adjustments, and then they okay it. And so I've been working on that right now. We started raising up leaders and uh, pastors and ministers and, and releasing them into their ministries. And then uh, after the Bible school, we've literally planted churches all over Haiti. I have not the finite number. I would need to brainstorm with all of my staff for me to know how many churches we planted. And, and each one wouldn't know all of them. They would just, oh, yeah, there's that one there, remember? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And uh, not only all of Haiti. See, it came to me to take a nation, you got to duplicate your DNA or your, your, yourself, basically, if you believe in yourself and believe in the God that's in you. And so uh, uh, we began to duplicate. And then they, I, I give a full scholarship to anyone on staff, which includes uh, building maintenance. I guess that's the proper word to use now, right? They're not janitors anymore, are they? So anyhow, uh, I had given a building maintenance guy a scholarship to the Bible school, and he finished Bible school and just said, okay, I'm going out yonder. And he went out about 50 miles from Port-au-Prince and built a brush arbor and started a church. I mean, you know, that's just what, you don't have to be a rocket science to birth a church. And so he just, and he's still, he's still working as a building maintenance man, but he goes out there during the week and ministers to his people just because he's on fire for God. That's all the amen I get out of that. So planted churches all over Haiti, but not just Haiti. We have three churches in the Dominican Republic. We have a church in New York, a church in Boston, a church in Orlando, and a church in Montreal, Canada. So, you know, you just keep going, praise God. Hallelujah. It wasn't long after that, God spoke to me to plant the mother church. Well, see, that, that was kind of out of the box on mission strategy. Most people in the, in the late 80s didn't believe an, an, uh, a missionary should be a senior pastor in a nationals church. And I, I felt a little resistance back in those days. But, and I, actually, I wasn't too interested in being a pastor uh, because nobody knew anything about the apostolic anointing in the late 80s. That all came out in the 90s. And so kingdom and apostolic prophetic anointing was a 90s thing. It wasn't in the 80s. And uh, matter of fact, you were just called a church planter. That's what they called you back in those days. And so... Uh, I argued with God for a year about that church. I said, I don't really want to be a pastor. Well, I didn't know I wasn't going to be a pastor. I was going to be an apostle. And I'd have a staff of pastors, and that really works very nicely in my case. But uh, I argued with them for a year. How many of you know if you argue with God, you lose? You know, so you ought to really be sensitive to those things. If God's talking to you about something, don't be doing no arguing. You already lost. Praise God. So I birthed the church, but I was going to prove to God that he's wrong. So I started with like six or seven people on the first service, and the next service was 71. The six or seven went out and told everybody. I didn't do it. I, I thought, you know, we'll start with six or seven. It'll all fall down, and we'll just 
forget about it, you know. I, I like preaching pr- crusade platforms and spitting and swinging sweat and getting people saved, you know. And so anyhow, the church birth, now we're about 6,000. <laughs> we, we would be 20,000, but I keep planting churches. <laughs> and then I stand a pastor up and pray over them and then say, if the two or three or hundred of you want to go with him, go with him. He needs help. And they, they, a bunch of people go with him. Out of those, uh, the, we're, us being one, my church being one, we have the three largest churches in the city of Port-au-Prince. And t- the other two were our sons that went out and birthed from us, praise God. So that's a good, so now I'm beginning to realize this is how you impact a nation. And uh, so then in 1994, my wife, Miss Linda, decided, or not decided, she received a word from God that she was to plant an academic Christ-centered school for kids. And we did. And she did it all. All I had to do was figure out how to pay for everything. And so I did good at that. They let me preach as long as I can pay for stuff. And, uh, but uh, no, and th- this school is, has a dual accreditation in the United States. Anyone that has the grades graduating from our school can apply at any university in the United States of America. That's pretty intense. That really is kind of intense. There are actually public schools that are not even accredited, I hate to tell you that. But, but anyhow, not all. They're mis- just kind of mismatched. But, and that's a hard thing to keep up with. They come and inspect you every few years, and you've got to have this giant report finished. And not my, It's above my pay grade. It's her deal. But uh, I just keep paying the bills, praise the Lord. Done crusades for thousands. We, we actually do a crusade every year during Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras in Haiti makes Mardi Gras in New Orleans look peaceful. And so we would do a crusade. We would take a soccer field out and advertise it, and we've done it for years and years, every year. And then when violence hit, which we're going to talk about in a second, I stopped. I didn't want to put our people at risk, you know. And so this year when I was just praying, God said, I want you to go back to, to doing the crusade. I said, God, <laughs> there's a lot of problems out there. He said, yeah, but I'm God. <laughs> and so I said, well, okay then. And so uh, we'd had no violence touch us, no problems at all. Normally in the old days, we peaked out about 50, 60, 50,000 anyhow. And this time was a little less. We probably peaked on our peak night, 35,000. But it was a great crusade. Hundreds and hundreds got born again. We baptized a mess of them. And uh, God got the glory, praise God. So when you follow following after God, you don't have to fear. I think we sung a song about that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. hallelujah. And so anyhow, though, the past two years, actually two and a half now, Haiti's been a hot mess. And uh, it's been two years of total anarchy and, and very dangerous. Gangs financed by Haiti's oligarchs because they want the power and they want the control of areas. These gangs are like warlords. They're, it's not nice. <laughs> and uh, they have terrorized the population with violence. They'll, they'll go into a, a, a population, just start shooting people for no reason. Just... And one, there was like a hundred massacred, nine of them were babies. Just in one day. Massacred a hundred innocent people, nine of those hundred were babies. Just went and shot them up. That's the devil. That's so dark, I can't even believe the devil's in it. I mean, that's dark. And so anyhow, I call them in-country terrorists. But... Currently, the gangs control 60 to 80% of the, of, of the capital and the nation. They're better armed and better equipped than the police and the army, Haitian army police. If you're just playing around, think you got something with a 9 millimeter in your pocket, throw it away because that's just a squirt gun. They have military-grade weapons. There's weapons dealers for uh, uh, countries all over the world. You know that. And, uh, uh, and some of the police are in their pocket. Or they're in the police pocket. And so they they uh, on the payroll and tip them off. It's a very dangerous place. In the midst of it all, though, Fishers of Men Ministries Bible School, Church on the Rock, Haiti, Morningstar Christian Academy still stands strong as a great light in the midst of that nation. We're not the only churches doing it, but we're standing. People ask me all the time, why do you keep going back? You've been there, like, for your lifetime. Why can't you just... 
relax a little bit. And I said, you know, you got to be, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you got to be the light of the world. If we were to pull back, the light would be dimmer. I don't know that it would be totally out, but it would be dimmer. We stand strong to be the light of the world. You are a light to the world of Texarkana in this region. That's what you're called to be, a light to the world. We're called to be a light to the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. We're the city set on the hill. And that's what I respond to people. We must keep the city set on the hill, and the church must stand strong in the midst of all this weird stuff going on in different societies. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of getting old, sort of. <laughs> this isn't the America I grew up in. Things are not right. But there's going to be a great revival. In times revival, scriptures speak of it in numerous locations, or scriptures, and uh, be a great awakening globally, a great awakening and a great revival, and this is where your generation is going to come in. Because, see, I'm old and gray. I got the wisdom. You're young and strong. You got the strength. That's just another word for you there. I might be back and forth. You never know. <laughs> and I hope you all don't mind. I've messed with the youth in this church several times over the years. In a good way. Messed with them in a good way. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. But uh, we got to be that city set upon the hill because there's going to be a tremendous, Isaiah 60, arise and shine. Even though darkness covers, deep darkness covers the earth, arise and shine for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. There will be deep darkness. I'm really on a sideline. It's not even in my notes. You know that, don't you? Deep darkness in society. But we are to arise and shine for the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. And people will be drawn to the glory in our lives. That's basically what I was telling you earlier. It's going to be a, a greater portion in your lives. You're a last day revivalist generation. Woo! Makes me get excited. Praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. So anyhow, people always ask us, how do you keep going? And I really answer, it's by God's grace. See, God's grace, you know, it's a call, first of all. It's not a career choice. And when God calls you, you got to respond. You can't not respond or you're going to be miserable for a long time. And uh, another thing you all need to know, every person sitting in this room has a call of God on your life. You may not be called to sit in a, uh, behind a pulpit or stand on a platform, but God has a plan and a purpose. Well, some of you might be called to make like a millions of dollars and give a lot away. Some of you are called to be teachers or medical people or whatever, but you got God has a plan and a purpose for every single person sitting in this room. And if you don't know what that plan and purpose is, you need to pursue it in prayer. God will not hold that back from you. He may not show it all to you, but he may not, he's not going to hold back what he wants you to accomplish. So, and I appreciate my brother in the back. He's my only amen around here. Everybody else is getting, everybody else is getting scared. But God's got his hand on your life, and he wants to use you for his glory, praise God. And he'll use you in a way that really is, uh, uh, it settles with your spirit. He'll use you in a way that is comfortable for you. He'll use your talents and your abilities. But it's all by the grace of God, and that's the title of my message today is the, the, God's power in grace. God's power through grace. Power of God's grace. I had to read it then, see. Now, I want you to know something, and I've been saying this every message. I just, got, I just compiled this message earlier in the week. But as I preach to you today, I'm also preaching to me because I want to increase my faith in it. And so that, rather you realize that or not, pastors can uh, acknowledge this. Many times when a pastor is preaching, he's preaching to himself. Many times. Because that's where God's dealing with him. And so he compiles a message and releases it, figures that God's dealing with me, must be dealing with everybody. And everybody said, amen. So we need to understand the power of God's grace. And not only the power, but I'm going to share with you in a little bit, you can increase grace. You can multiply grace. You can move mountains with grace. You, grace, now let me get you into, into this a little bit. Uh, well, I'm going to have to bypass. My definition for grace, all right, this is mine. God gave it to me. 
I've already passed, this was like 30 years ago, I've already shown about 10 or 15 theologians and they all agree that's a good definition. So I've already qualified it. Even though I have the degree of a theologian, I'm not one. So it's this, you ready for it? It's God's ability, God's power, God's glory, joined with his ultimate desire and willingness to release his ability, his power, and his glory into our lives where we have no ability, no power, and no glory. By grace, you were saved. You couldn't save yourself. By grace, you were saved. You can't do it. You can't do enough good works. That's where religion is opposite to true kingdom understanding is they think, well, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. No, you're not. Hell's full of good persons. Hell is full of good persons and you can't just be a good person to go to heaven. Now, it's all nice that you do good things after you're saved, but it's, what, it's salvation that takes you to heaven. Are you all with me here on this? And so it was God's ability, God's power and God's glory released in your life when you responded to him out of obedience and faith. You heard the gospel message, you say, I want that. And then you ask Jesus to come in your heart and he came by faith. Is everybody okay with that? You can't save yourself. There's a lot of things you can't do on yourself. You gotta have God's grace. Amen? Now, hallelujah. Let me, let me go ahead and read from the scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said to me, which he's, Paul is writing this, he said to Paul, the apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, sufficient, many people take that word as a half cup full, half cup empty kind of thing. You'd be talking to someone and say, how you doing, brother? He says, I'm going to get make it by God's grace. No, that's not good. <laughs> you're like downplaying the power of grace. No, you're not going to just make it by his grace. You're going to overcome through his grace. The, <laughs> come on, you can lift it up to the Lord. <laughs> the Greek connotation of sufficiency, the Greek connotation is more than enough. Where he's talking to Paul, he says, my grace is more than enough for you. Grace is more than enough. It's the, it's the premise of God's power and the release of his power, but yet we have to put a demand on it. You had to put a demand on God's grace to get saved. You had to respond out of obedience and ask Jesus into your heart by faith. So right there, I'm, down, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. Obedience and faith is one of the tools that releases God's power and grace. Are you good with me? All right. Praise God. Y'all respond once in a while. I come from Haiti. They don't just sit there and look at me. Y'all good? All right. So the, uh, it's more than enough. Say more than enough. He said, my grace is sufficient or more than enough for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Where we are weak, God will release his strength by grace. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty weak in a lot of areas, and I depend on God and his strength and his grace to get me through the areas I need. We all do. We all must do that. He says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities or my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in, now listen to this, it's Paul. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in need, in persecution, in distress. I take pleasure in it. Most Christians whining and crying in it. Now, I, first service, a couple of nice, sweet Southern ladies came up to me to greet me with that Southern accent <laughs> that I love dearly. And they said, that was a good message, Pastor. I said, well, thank you, ma'am. She said, you made us curl our toes. I said, well, a good toe curling message means you went to church. <laughs> We're not here to just tickle the ears. I, I'm the best. I, I'm like a doctor. I'll cut you open, but before I'm done, I'll sew you shut. And you'll be jumping and shouting if you let me. Are you all with it? 
Here he says, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So if you've got some weakness in your life and the devil's hammering on you, you just go ahead and declare you've got the strength of God's grace operating in that weakness and you've got victory in Jesus' name. Ha! Praise the Lord. Where am I? So I'm going to cover five points of grace. You're lucky. Those, each one of those points is a whole message. I'm just bulletproof, bulleting it to you. So, but I could take, and I, and I would if I was at my home church, I'd go ahead and run a series on it. But I only got one message with you, so I'm going to bullet point it. Number one, we've already covered by grace you're saved. All right. In Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 6, which is a scripture you know, but God who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, you do know God loves you. You know his love never fails. You know God's love is all mixed in there with the grace and power and miracles. You know that too, right? It's all, all kind of runs together in the same recipe. He says, even though he, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Now, I had a five black belts of dead in trespasses. I was a hot mess when I got saved. I had demons. I had one lady going, come out of him in Jesus' name. The other little old lady going, feel him, Lord. Feel him. The other lady going, come out of him. And the other lady standing in front of me. These are ladies that carried Dake's Bibles. Do you remember Dake's Bibles? They were about this thick and this big. And if they didn't get the devil out of you, they'd beat you with it. And the other lady standing in front of me going, you're going to go to hellfire if you don't repent and give your life to Jesus Christ right this very second. The other lady going, feel him, Lord. Feel him. The other lady going, come out of him in Jesus' name. I didn't know which way to go. I was gurgling at my mouth and frothing and screaming. And finally, I got set free and got Jesus, praise the Lord. Now, I do know some people need those programs. What do they call those programs in churches? What is it? Overcomer? Or what? I didn't need it. He just set me free. I never walked away, never did drugs or alcohol ever again. I was, I was pretty well hooked. I was during the Miami cocaine craze. You remember all that era, don't you? It may not have participated, but you had to be dead not to know what was going on. And uh, yeah, I was a mess. I don't know why I took that little story time. but Anyhow, by grace, you have been saved. Say grace. And then in verse 6, he says this, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Not only are we saved, we've been spiritually raised up together with him sitting in heavenly places. You see, I'm not waiting to go to heaven. I'm already there. Now, this body will give up one day. And then, but my spirit's already intertwined and connected with Christ. I'm in him. That's called an in him course. That's good. That, we'd have that in our Bible school too. If you ever get lonely, you can come down and go to Bible school. <laughs> Raised, see that, that heavenly position is a position of dominion and dominance. Let me help you out. I got, I, I got done early first service. I'm praying I still will. In Ephesians 1, 18, 19, this is Paul talking or writing. And praying, this is the prayer of Paul, he prays, I pray the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you would know what is the hope of your calling. That's what he's praying. I am praying for the church of Texarkana, C-O-T-R, that you would know what is the hope of God's calling on your life. All right, it's a good prayer. I pray this prayer over my church and over my family often. You know, there's not a better prayer than a prayer that's in a Bible. If you want to know how to pray, 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 pray Bible prayers. So, and, and he says, I pray that you would understand what is the hope of your calling. Here's the good part. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Do you realize you have an inheritance and that inheritance is the glory of God, which is grace? All right. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Someone say power. No, you got to say it like evangelist. Power. There, you got it. Praise God. See, he has an exceeding abundance of power to those that believe. How many people want to believe in the house? Come on. God's got the power for you. Hallelujah. For those who believe according to the working of his mighty power, 
same power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come and he put everything under his feet and he gave him to be the head over all things and the church which is his body the fullness of him who fits all in all. In other words, God raised him up above all power and dominion, gave him to be the head of the church, which is the body. That means if everything is under Christ's feet, everything is under our feet. And we need to learn to live like it, walk like it, talk like it, speak like it, not with arrogance, not, but with humility. But you know what? You are governmental. You're an ambassador of Christ. Where'd that come from? <laughs> Hallelujah. You've been raised from the dead with him. We're seated in a place of dominion. We're in a, God desires victory for each and every one of us. Doesn't mean we're not gonna have battles. I can write books on battles. I've seen it all, experienced more than most people should. Really have. Not gonna get into dull you with the stuff, but. In every book I write, the last chapter would tell you how Christ brought me through it and put me on the other side. All the way from loss of family to everything, God, Christ brought me through it. And he put me on the other side. Can do it, you know. So anyhow, we are all by God's grace that we are seated in heavenly places in a place of dominion. That brings me to number two. Number one is by grace you're saved. Number two Number two is dominion and victory by grace. Through grace, you can have dominion and victory, Romans 5 and 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive, that's us, he's talking about us, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. How many of you received grace when you got saved? How many know you were made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus? It's not our righteousness, but we've been made the righteousness of Christ through, through Jesus. You all understand that, right? And so it says that we, those that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, are to rule and reign in life. Life is not to rule and reign you. You are called to rule and reign the life. That doesn't mean you might not have some setbacks. You might even lose the battle, but you'll never lose the war if you stay in there. There's a lot of battles. Half the stuff going against us is spiritual. Maybe, maybe more than half. I might even be light on that. Most of the stuff coming against us is spiritual. You got to fight the fight of faith. You got to take the spiritual weapons that God's given us and fight the war. If you don't fight the war, you might lose part of it. Of course, I don't want to get in that. God stopped my mouth. So we're called to rule and reign and dominate through the gift of grace or abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. That's what God, every person in this room is faced with challenges. You may not have to face extreme violence in the nation of Haiti or have to have people shooting all around your house and stuff. It, Haiti makes the south side of Chicago look like a, a, a peace. And so anyhow, but we're, I'm called there. You're not called there. Say, thank you, Jesus. Now, here's where I take a little digress. I've done it all three services. This is when I say, they're going to receive a little offering. You know that, don't you? Now, if I run out of money, God may call me home and then speak to you to go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You might get the checkbook ready. <laughs> you all are acting like Haitians now when you talk about money. Maybe that's DNA of all Christians. I don't know. Uh-huh. All right, let's keep going. You ready to keep going? Hallelujah. We may, we may not have to face extreme violence. You may be tormented by infirmity. You may be tormented by pain. You may, have to go, you may be going through a financial crisis and a battle financially. You may have stress and anxiety. I, have, I, I got a black belt in that one time. And then you, got, you may have family difficulties. But God does not choose for you to remain there. 
You don't have to suffer there and stay there. God wants you to rise up and overcome. We are overcomers. We are more than conquerors through Christ. We are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. God wants you to become a conquering warrior. Hallelujah. He says, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God wants you to pull them down by prayer and by faith and by speaking the promises of God. I, I have this apartment on our campus. It's really a house, I guess, freestanding. I call it an apartment, two-bedroom. It's really long. It's the way it fit the, the, the property that I had. And I'll just walk it in the morning praying. And I'll begin to declare, God in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that we are above and not beneath. We're head and not the tail. That every place we put our soles of our feet, you give it to us, God. Everything we set our hand to, you command a blessing upon it. God, I come against every demon and devil of hell with the power and the blood and the name of Jesus. I bind every demon of hell that comes against me in Jesus' name. You will not have victory. You will not have victory, God. I decree and declare over my family the power of your peace, the power of your healing, the power of your presence in the name of Jesus. God, God in heaven, we got victory through you. Now, if you're not praying like that, you might be losing some of the battles. Now, you have to learn how to pray like that, and that's why you got to hang around people that pray like that. I learned how to pray by hanging around people that prayed. Point number three. <laughs> you can increase or multiply grace. Now, here, this is a major key. God's grace is his power, his ability, his glory released for us in our lives where we have no power, glory, and miracles and stuff. We don't have it. We can't do it. He has to do it. But he has a willingness to release it to you. Now, you're in the battle. Seems like whatever I'm preaching is a little limited. You can multiply the grace. Second Peter 1, 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, to me, in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me go ahead and shift this a little so it'll help you in, in regular talk. Grace and peace are multiplied to you, to me, by knowing God and Jesus Christ. Now, there's only one way to know God. Spend time with him. There's only one way you can know God is to spend time with God. Now, here, let me give you a major key. When you pray, do not ever open up with your list to go to the market of what you want. Now, you can pray over that. The Bible does say we ask not, ask not have not, because we ask not. But don't you start there. You start with worship. You start with a heart to seek him for his presence. You start crying out to Jesus, I love you and I want you. You don't think he's going to answer that prayer? I want you. I come running to you, Jesus. I want more of you, less of me, more of you, less of me, more of you, less of me. Now, I realize I'm a minister and your time is different than my time. But yesterday, Saturday, I spent the day in prayer and worship. That's my most happiest Saturday. Four, five, six hours in the presence of God with worship music going. And me just calling on him and wanting him. And then all of a sudden, you're by yourself and you're in a hotel room. And you realize the creator of the universe is here with me. You feel him. I feel him right now. You, you feel him. He's right there with you. He doesn't want to leave you either. Then you begin to know him because you're spending time with him. Prayer is not some religious exercise. It's all about getting to know him. He already knows you, but what happens is you realize some of the stuff he knows about you and, and he takes care of it. The scripture already says he knows what you need before you even ask. And some of the stuff you're asking, you ain't got it yet because it ain't his will for you to have it. That's a toe curler. 
Sometimes you just got to understand what's God want. What is God's will? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. Praise the Lord. Hi. I got five minutes. <laughs> Taking it to the edge today, the third service, brother. All right. So we got to go because I only got five minutes. Number three is you can multiply or increase your grace. Number four, you can increase provision in your life by grace. How many people want more provision? That's a nice word for money. How many people want more money in their life? You see, God wants you to have money because he wants you to give away more money. The more money we make, the more money we can give away. I don't know. I just can't bring myself to play Powerball, though. I somehow just can't quite connect yet. If you play Powerball, don't, no, no offense. Uh, but I just can't, you know, I, I don't know. God will have to get it to me another way. Here you go. Ready? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. He says, oh, you know this one. He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He who sows generously reaps generously. See, generosity is based on your sacrifice. What is a sacrifice to you? And then he goes on, and then generosity is based on that. Actually, sparingly is based on the same thing. What is your lack of sacrifice? God really gets excited when you give. And when he also says that you give according to your purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves people that give cheerfully. And you are a giving church. I'm not rebuking much here. This church has been very awesome in their not only giving to missions, but giving into the house and bills. And the, I mean, we're standing in a building that's based on God's grace. We ain't smart enough. He is, though. Hallelujah. But then it says this. Because you give cheerfully and because you're sacrificing, he says in verse 8, and God is able to make all grace, say all grace. All grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency or always having more than enough in all things that you will have an abundance over every good work. In other words, when we sacrifice to God, there's an increase and a release. It's a demand on grace, and grace is released to increase our cash flow so that we can always have a sufficiency or more than enough for ourselves and have an abundance for every good work. You know, when I, and I got our Haitians, when we take an offering, maybe we ought to try that here in Texas, Canada. We always go, it's offering time, they go, woohoo! Why? Because it's a good thing. We're planting seed into the kingdom. That means we're going to have a harvest from the kingdom. Woohoo! Y'all don't get it, do you? <laughs> well, you'll be able to woohoo in a minute because he's coming up. Number one was saved by grace, number two was dominion and victory by grace. Number three was increase comes by grace. Or no, we can increase grace. Number four, provision by grace. Number five, we're going to finish out. Move mountains by grace. Now, everybody sometime or another, if not regularly like me, has mountains in their life. Mark 11, 2024 20, talks about speaking to the mountain. But this one talks about grace in the mountain. And it comes from the book of Zechariah 4, 6. Zerubbabel was called to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. And he had a lot of battles. He had enemies attack him. They had guys messing with him. They had doubters. They were, they were, they were disappointing the workers and they were getting lazy. And he was just wrung out and he couldn't get the temple finished. And God sent him an angel to bring a prophetic word. And you know the word because it's a very familiar verse. But it says that he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You see, to do the work of God, you can't do it in your own strength. You got to do it by the Holy Spirit. You got to do it by the anointing. You got to do it. The work of God is not a fleshly work, even though we're captured in our flesh. It's a spiritual thing. We would not have been able to see the fruit of God that we've been able to see in 36 years if it hadn't been for the Spirit of God joining with us and leading and guiding us. You just won't see it, praise God. 
But then this angel says, who are you, O great mountain? You got a great mountain? That stands before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts. The, the capstone is the finishing touches. He shall bring forth the finishing touches with shouts, grace, grace. Now, anytime God doubles up a word or a sentence or a phrase, you need to really captivate what's going on there because he's multiplying. He says, shouts of grace, grace. Another translation says, shouts of great grace. When you've got a mountain standing before you, you just go ahead and look at it and go, great grace. I speak great grace. I speak great grace. Somebody lift your voice, say great grace. You see, God has great grace for you. God has great grace. You have to put a demand on it. When you're under attack, when you're in the battle, when you're under the, under the gun, it's time for you to rise up and declare the great grace of God against the mountain. And it says that, wait a minute, I'll finish the verse. It says that it will bring, oh, and he shall bring forth the capstone. It will become a plain. The mountain that stands before you, if you begin to release God's grace against it, God will make it a plain, praise the Lord. God wants to give you the victory. God has grace for the victory. God wants to to bless you with victory, but you got to do something. You got to speak great grace. You got to get in prayer and draw near to Him and want to know Him. Want to know Him, not what He can do for you. He can do everything for you, but you got to know Him. And when you get to know Him, that's when the everything manifests. All right, I'm going to have to try to finish. I'm two minutes over. I was early the last two services. I got some buffer. See, God, you got great grace to speak to the mountains. Over and over throughout the scriptures, we see the demonstration of great grace. How about it when in Genesis, when Abraham, when Abraham was told to take his son and sacrifice him? And he did. And he, in his heart, he always knew God will provide. But he laid his son on the altar and raised the knife. Thank God he had his ears open. God said, hold it, I gave you provision. Uh, and, a, and a ram was in the thicket. It was great grace that released that ram. Somebody say great grace. We're just getting started. The nation of Israel was in the desert. They had no water. God spoke to Moses, smack the rock with your stick. And he obeyed and smacked the rock. And it was release of sweet water for all of the nation of Israel. And that was, my friends, is called great grace. Rocks don't give water just because you smack them with a, with a rod. That's God's power. That's God's ability. That's God's glory working through Moses because of his obedience. All right, let's keep going. How about Joshua taking Jericho uh, and, and the promised land? He got the Jericho, huge walls, big walls. And, and, and God said, I want you to march around it for once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. When you get done with the seventh time, blow the trumpets, give a shout. Now, how can blowing trumpets and giving a shout bring walls down? You see, it's God's power. It's God's ability. It's God's miraculous glory. Somebody say amen. amen. Oh, here's one. How about great grace? Say great grace. Amen. How about Daniel in the lion's den? If they were going to throw me in a lion's den, I would pee my pants. You got to look at this with reality. They say, you're arrested. We're going to throw you with the lions. I'd be going, oh, Jesus. Huh? What would you do? Oh, I'm, I read the story about Daniel. I'm okay. <laughs> so Daniel got thrown in the lion's den, and, and the king comes the next morning crying out his name. Oh, Daniel. He said, that's okay. That's called great grace. God shut the mouths of the lions, and he was saved with great grace. Am I talking too loud for the baby? <laughs> Praise God for the baby. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You don't think that was great grace? threw him in the fire. He said, we ain't bound to your thing. We ain't bound to nothing. Don't bow to nothing. I told first service there, they all about fell out of their seats. I fasted. I, God required of me to fast all football for one season. All pro, all college. Because I believe it became an idol. And once I fasted it for one season, he said, you can go watch it now. Most of you wouldn't have ears enough to hear that. I preached in Dallas one day, and about quarter to 12, people start getting up out of church and leaving. 
And I'm not even finished with my message. I'm like, where y'all going? I'm not, you, you get up and leave, I'll ask you, where are you going? We're talking about God here. And somebody said to me, said, there's a ball game, home ball game today. They got to get over there to the stadium before game time at one o'clock. That's an idol. You're going to leave the presence of God to go watch a football game? Dear Lord Jesus, help us. Thank you, sir. No burns on them. They're in the fire. We ain't bowing our knee. And then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar looks and goes, I see a fourth man. You see, when you're in the problem, when you're in the fire, when you're in the difficulty, when you're in the battle, the fourth man will not leave you. The fourth man is the great grace. Hallelujah. Lift your voice. Say great grace. All right. How about when the apostle John was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he heard a voice like a trumpet and he fell down as if he was dead. And then God gave him the revelation of the end times in the book called Revelation. That's called great grace. Huh? How about when Paul and Silas were beaten uh, for preaching the gospel? Now, I hadn't been beaten yet for preaching the gospel. I've been, I had rocks thrown at me one time. I've been stoned. I've been stoned, but I, I dodged them. Well, you know, you're on the platform, someone throwing rocks at you. You see them coming in. It's like incoming. I got a good story about Mike, but I'm not going to tell it. So anyhow, Paul and Silas were beaten Naked, bloody, naked and bloody. I don't know if they had a little ephod or not. The Bible says they were naked. Chained against the wall of the prison. It's a good thing the apostle Mark wasn't there because Paul had to give Mark to to Barnabas to disciple him a little more because Mark would have said, now look what you've done. You see, God might be doing something in our midst and we're going, look what you've done. I got to go fast now. I'm seven minutes past. And so they begin to do what? They begin to worship. You see, worship will release grace. True worship. True worship, not sing a song worship. Heart open, I need you, God, worship. And he released an earthquake, and it shook the walls, and they were released from their chains. That's called great grace. Say great grace. You see, it was great grace that 36 years ago, God spoke to two servants, Linda and Jay, and said, go take a nation. And it's through that great grace we still stand. And God wants every single person in this house to stand. So lift your voice, say great grace. If you, want to be, if you want to receive an impartation, I call it an apostolic impartation. Close your eyes and lift your hands. I'm going to release it upon you.